I'm serious. It's a book. Why don't you go to Matthew and then turn back a few pages? That might be the easiest way to find it. It's the third to the last book in the Old Testament, and it's, this, I think, the second shortest book in the Bible, so it's easy to skip. This is Haggai. Y'all even close to there. It'll be up on the screen. Don't feel bad if you can't find it. After you go through Alpha, you'll be able to find Haggai like this. I'm playing. This is what the Lord says. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. My question this morning is, can you relate to that? On some level, can you say, yeah, that's me? There's some area of your life where you're constantly frustrated. You feel like you're treading water. You struggle. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, no matter how much effort you put in, you're not seeing any results. You just feel like you're banging your head against a wall. It's easy maybe to look at that in your financial life or maybe your work life. I'd encourage you to look at every area of your life. Is there some place where you're frustrated? You either are or you aren't. If you're not, don't worry about it. You don't need to make it up. If you are, you know that, and you can probably already give me the list of areas and what's going on and what you've tried and what hasn't worked, all of that, whether it's in family relationships, who knows. But there's some area of your life where you're frustrated. The second thing I would ask if you would say yes to that is why do you think you're experiencing frustration in that area? What could be causing that, and that's one of the things we want to look at this morning. This is Haggai. I'm going to read before and after what we just read. This is uh, starting in verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then skipping down to verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the answer. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Let me give you a little background. Um, In 605 B.C., Back then, the Babylonians took a big chunk of the Jews who were living in Judah into exile, took them into captivity. Um, And then in 586 B.C., they came back and they leveled Jerusalem and they took the rest of the guys. They left just a few people who, um, in their minds, were kind of peasant-type folks. Everybody else, they shipped out of the Promised Land. They shipped out of Judah And they scattered them throughout their empire. And throughout the Old Testament, God tells his people, if you guys continue to disobey me and disregard me and go after other gods, this is going to happen. I'm going to basically wipe you guys out. You're going to go into captivity. Someone's going to wipe out your land, which they couldn't get. They didn't understand that because to them, the land was the symbol of their relationship with God. And so to be removed from that land was to be cut off from God. And he said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Hundreds of years. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. They continued to disobey them, and so he did it. In 586, Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was leveled, all the people were taken away. And it looked like 
well, God's done with these folks. It looked like God was done with the Jews. And then in 538, a guy named Cyrus, who was the king of Persia, Persia overthrew Babylon in like 559. You don't care about all these dates. But in 538, the Cyrus, this king of Persia, who's now running the world, Babylon had been the superpower, now it's Persia, so they've got all of this territory, issues this um, edict. This is in Ezra 1, 2 through 4. This is what Cyrus, the king of Persia, says, the Lord, the God of heaven, he's talking about the God of the Bible here, has given me, and he was not a Jew, he was a pagan, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So basically Cyrus is saying, y'all can go home. Anybody, no matter where you are scattered, you can go home. So it'd be like if somebody took over Marietta and they scattered us throughout the United States, then the king says, anybody, wherever y'all are living in the United States, you can come back to Marietta and rebuild. So that's what this pagan king is saying. And he's not just saying that, he's saying, and we're going to give you money and we're going to give you stuff for you to live and for you to build the temple. That happened in 538, which is huge. Like, that doesn't happen. That's a huge deal. And God actually predicted that. This is Jeremiah 10, 29, 10 through 15. You've heard part of this before. You might not know the whole context. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So this is at least 50 years before this Cyrus says, everybody come home. Jeremiah writes a letter to the guys who've been exiled. And in that letter, it's, it's a prophecy. God is saying, in 70, 70 years from the time you got kicked out, I'm going to bring you guys back. And I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and everything's going to be great. So this thing, this edict that Cyrus issued has a lot of significance. It's not just to he had this idea to let these guys go home or a few guys convinced him to let these guys go home. This is part of God's plan for his people. He predicted this before it happened, and he nailed it down to the year when it would, in fact, happen. So that's some of the background. Um, 50,000 Jews returned in about 538. They, this edict is in 539, 538. About 50,000 Jews returned to Jerusalem, and they start to rebuild the temple. And in 536, they laid the foundation. So the foundation is laid. Everything looks great. And then um, Ezra 3.11 says this, With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So at this point they're being obedient. They're doing what God wants for them. Then Ezra 4.24 says this, Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia. What happened is after they laid the, temp- after they laid the foundation they quit. Depending on how you date that, there's a 12 or 16 year period where they don't do anything. They, they just they quit. They get the foundation laid and then they stop 
working on the temple. And again, depending on how you date when they stop, 12 or 16 years later, it's a long chunk, Haggai comes along. And what you read was Haggai's first word. Haggai does everything that happens in Haggai happens in a four-month time period. He has four messages that he gives. And the first one was what we read. The first message is he says, you guys are taking care of your house. You're not taking care of the Lord's house. Give careful thought to this. The reason you're putting in a lot and getting out a little is because you're ignoring the house of God. So that's kind of, that's the setup for what I want us to talk about this morning. And the point I want you to see is that God was the source of their frustration. There was a drought and God said, yeah, that was me. I'm the one that did that. The reason you guys are struggling is because of me. And I don't know how that fits into your picture of who God is or not, but he, he owns that. He's the one that's causing them frustration. And he's not doing it because he's mean. He's not doing it, you know, it's not like he's got the magnifying glass and their ants and he's trying to burn them. That's not what's going on. He's trying to get their attention. They're neglecting what he's told them to do. And he's trying to get their attention and that's how he does it. You're neg- he, they're neglecting the reason God has called them back, which is to build this temple. And it's not about the temple. That's not the deal. It's not like God needs a house. He's got plenty of room. That's not it at all. But at this time, the way God related to people is they needed a place to meet with them. We don't need that anymore. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit now, collectively and individually. That's in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, that was not the case. There had to be a building for people to meet with God, and that building was the temple. So if there is no temple, there is no place for people to meet with God. There has to be a place where these sacrifices are made. We don't have to do that anymore. Jesus took care of all that. But again, before Jesus, everything, you know, before Matthew in the Bible, there needed to be a temple, a place where God would meet with his people, and they quit building it. So there was no place. It's not, again, that God needs an address He needs a place to meet with his people. His people need a place to meet with him, is what it is. And they had quit working. They were neglecting what God called them to do. Again, remember, these guys didn't just have an idea, hey, let's go rebuild the temple. God moved the heart of the king. You can see that in Isaiah 45, if you want to go back and look at it. He actually calls the king by name, I want to say hundreds of years before the king was even born. I'm not positive how many years before. He gives the name of Cyrus. I think that's Isaiah 45.1 before the Persians are even on the scene. He's naming the name of the king who's going to issue this edict to tell his people to come home. It's a big deal. And they were neglecting it. And I wonder in our life, if there are areas where we're frustrated, if the reason we're frustrated is because we're neglecting the temple. We're neglecting rebuilding the temple. And all I mean by that is, is there something that the Lord has put in your heart to do and you're not doing it? You're neglecting it. I'm not talking this morning about blatant disobedience. Some people call that sin with a high hand, and that's exactly, that's this. God says go right, and you're going left, and you're shaking your fist. That's not what we're, that's really bad. Don't do that. But that's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is it's, it's neglect. God has put something in your heart. It's probably not even necessarily something that's in the Bible. It's just something the Lord maybe has put in you to do and you're not doing it. You're neglecting that. And it could be the frustration that you're experiencing is because you're neglecting that word, just like what was going on for these guys in Haggai. God was frustrating their attempts to establish their households 
because they were neglecting his word to build his house. And so if you think about the areas where you're experiencing frustration and struggle, it could be, not necessarily, but it could be that you're neglecting the word of God in that area. And so God is the one frustrating you, not because he doesn't like you, but because you're missing something. You're neglecting something that he's told you to do. And it's going to cause you to struggle. Because ultimately what he wants for you is better than what you want for yourself. If there is no temple in this Old Testament time, if there is no temple, there is no, there's no place to meet with God. That's not a good place to be for these folks. They needed the temple. So uh, a couple of things I was thinking about um, this morning, trying to figure out how to maybe put some skin on this. I would say I was where these guys were probably two and a half years ago. I felt like the Lord had put in my heart to start a church and I wasn't doing anything about it at all. I had a, another job and I was doing that and it was good and it was fine and all those things, but I was not moving forward in terms of what I felt like the Lord had put in my heart to do. And that's, that's not in here somewhere. There's no place in here where it told me that. That was just something over time I felt like the Lord had said, this is what I want for you to do. I want you to start a church. And it wasn't some audible voice. It was something in my heart. You guys know how that works. But I wasn't doing it, and I was beginning to experience a ton of frustration at my other job, and it was spilling over into other areas of my life. And it wasn't until I kind of kicked into gear to, to help get this thing off the ground that that stuff was relieved. So it might be similar to you, work. It could be that you know good and well what the Lord has for you in terms of your work life, and you're not doing it. It might not be a crystal clear picture, but you know what you're doing now is not what the Lord wants for you to do. And you might say you're moving forward because you're researching on the Internet, but you're just messing around to make yourself feel better. But you're not actually moving forward. You're neglecting the temple. And you're experiencing frustration in whatever your current line of work is, or you're frustrated because you can't move ahead with work. But the reason is because you're neglecting the temple. God has put something in your heart to do, and you know what it is. You're just not doing it. You're not moving forward in your work life. It could be something with ministry. Maybe the Lord's put something in your heart for you to do in terms of ministry. And you're just not doing it. Maybe you're saying you're not experienced, or no one's giving you an opportunity, or you don't have time, or you know, no, you can't afford it, or I don't know what it would be. But you're not moving forward in this area of ministry and you know you should you're not rebuilding the temple it could be in relationships regularly somebody pops into your head the same person their name or their picture pops into your head regularly you run into this person all over the place and you know good and well that's the lord trying to get you to establish a relationship with them and you don't want to they smell bad or they talk too much or whatever you don't want to do that and you're ignoring you're not rebuilding the temple there's this thing where God is saying, this is what I want for you, and you're not doing it. And so it could be you're experiencing frustration in other relationships or in other areas of your life because you're ignoring this one. It could be spiritually. You know God's maybe trying to get you to do something different in your spiritual life. Read the Bible or join a Bible study or fast or something like that. And you know it's out there, and you're just ignoring it. You just kind of push it off. To the back burner and you're experiencing frustration spiritually you don't feel like you're connecting with the lord you don't feel like he's hearing your prayers you don't have a lot of joy or energy you're just kind of going through the motions and it could be that frustration is because you're not rebuilding the temple you're not tending to this thing 
that you know the Lord wants you to do. So again, if you're in that boat, you know exactly um, what it is for you. So the question then is, why don't we rebuild the temple? Why do we tend to neglect these things that the Lord has for us? If we look in Haggai, we can see several. Um, One is there will be external opposition. This is actually from Ezra 4, 1 through 5. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel. He was kind of he was the the leader, their governor, and to the heads of the family, and said, "Let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to Him since the time of this king who brought us here." But Zerubbabel, Joshua, he was the head priest, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, "You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, Persia commanded us." Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They hired counselors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus and down to the reign of Darius. So that's one of the reasons they quit building. After the foundation was laid, the people who were around who weren't Jews got intimidated, scared, offended, whatever, and so they stirred up trouble. And they actually wrote a letter back to the king at some point to get um, an edict issued to say, stop, you can't. They were rebuilding the walls at that point. said, you can't rebuild anymore. So they were stirring up trouble. And same thing for us. Sometimes doing the things that the Lord puts in our heart to do, there will be external opposition. Not necessarily from other people, although it could be. It could just be there's stuff in the way. And so we wilt. We just give up. An obstacle, that's, that's an excuse. It's not a reason to disobey what the Lord has put in your heart. So it could be that. Another thing sometimes, what we're going for when we get into it, it doesn't look like we thought it would. And this happened to these guys as well. There's a, after the foundation of the temple got laid, there's this weird verse in Ezra 3.12. It says, Many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. What was going on there is the old people who had seen the original temple before it got destroyed. And it was magnificent. You can go back and read. It's the one Solomon built, and it was Everything was gold, and it was impressive. They had seen that, and then they saw what was being rebuilt, and it was so much less impressive than the former. They cried. They were depressed, despairing. They saw this isn't what we thought it was. We thought it was going to be this again, and it wasn't. The guys who had never seen the former temple were were happy. It was the only thing they'd ever seen, but the ones who had something to compare it to were depressed. And sometimes the same thing happens to us. We feel like the Lord put something in our heart to do. We take one step into it, and then it's not what we thought it would be. We thought things were going to go this way, and they go this way, and we pull out. Happens all the time. All the time. The reality rarely is what we envision it to be. Usually is more difficult than what we envision it to be. We sometimes think, well, if this is what God wants for me, he gives us the desires of our heart, blah, blah, blah. It's all going to be peaches and cream. And we get into it, and it's not. It's difficult, it's painful, it's tough. The results aren't what we thought. Well, if I'm doing what God wants, then I'm going to be successful, and we define success in a certain way. And that's not what we see happening, and so we pull out. Sometimes we say, well, it must not be what the Lord wants. A lot of times we just kind of sissy out and say, I'm, I'm done. And that's what these guys did. There was opposition. It wasn't what they wanted it, what they thought it would be. And so it was a convenient excuses to quit. Also, and I think this is probably one of the biggest for us, is just it's um, 
kind of inertia. It's hard to get moving sometimes in these areas. The people who, these Jews that returned had to rebuild their homes. They had nothing. They were starting from scratch, rebuilding homes, replanting fields. They had families they had to take care of. They had a lot of stuff going on that they had to do. And so it's easy to put off rebuilding the temple when you've got three kids at home that need to be fed, so you've got to go out and plant the field. It's easy to put off rebuilding the temple when your roof is leaking and you're the one getting wet every time it rains. So you, build, you fix your own roof first. And I think the same thing happens to us a lot. This kind of this, we don't move in that direction, and then it's difficult to move in that direction. We're moving in the direction of kind of taking care of ourselves, and our momentum or inertia just keeps us moving in that direction. There's a parable in Matthew 13 Jesus tells about the parable of the soils. You remember that? The rocky soil and the hard soil and the good soil, all that stuff. And he's talking about the seeds that get planted in these different soils, and the soils are people's hearts. And the third one is thorny soil. And he says, you know, if a seed gets planted in this thorny soil, the plants grow, but then the plant is choked out by these thorny weeds. And he says the weeds are the cares of this world and the worries of wealth. And I think that's a lot, that's where we live. We live in the worries of wealth and cares of this world. And it's really easy to not tend to the things the Lord has put in your heart because you're so busy tending to the things that are right in front of your face. That's, that's where we live. I got a mortgage. I can't, I can't be doing this. I got to pay the bills. I can't be doing this. I got to run carpool. I can't be doing that. Whatever it is. Those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with these guys building their own house and planting their own crops. There's nothing. That's not evil stuff. It's just their priorities were out of balance. They were doing that not in addition to, but instead of rebuilding the temple. And the same thing is true for us. There's nothing wrong with pay, pay your bills, please. Do it. Do all those other things. Do your list. Whatever the list. Do the list. Just don't do it instead of these things the Lord's put in your heart. Do it in addition to. And I would say do it after you do the things the Lord has done in your heart. Jesus says in Matthew 6.33 that if we seek first the kingdom of God, then everything else will be added to us. And this is an example of what happens when you don't. When you don't seek the kingdom of God, a lot of stuff gets taken away from you. And that frustration, again, it's not God being mean. It's him trying to get your attention, to get you focused on the things that he's focused on. Because when you do those, then you open yourself up to the blessings that he has for you. So what happens if you don't do it? Does it really matter? This is Haggai, starting in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, blah, blah, blah. The word of the Lord came to Haggai. This is what he said. Ask the priest what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest said no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me. 
from this day on, from this 24th day, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The, the thing that God is saying there is, if there's this one, what, he's starting with the law and saying, if, there's, if, there's a, if a holy thing touches something that's not holy, does that thing become holy? And the answer was no. If something that's defiled touches something clean, does that clean thing become defiled? The answer was yes. And what he was saying is that's what's happening. You guys were dishonoring me in this one area, and that one area of dishonoring me bled over into every other area of your life. You were defiled in this one area. You were unclean in this one area of your life, not tending to the temple. You might have been a 10 out of 10 in everything else, but in this one, you're a 0 out of 10, and that affected everything else. That sin issue, the neglect issue was contagious. And the same thing is true of us. You might say, you know, I really don't care. It's just this one area of my life where I'm frustrated and I can deal with that. And what I'll say to you is, okay, just know it's going to bleed. It's going to bleed over. There might be a time where you can keep it confined to this one area of your life. When you're frustrated relationally, you're frustrated at work, or you're frustrated with your money, or you're frustrated with your relationship with the Lord or whatever. There might be one area and you say, I can deal with that. I've got a hundred things, I can handle one of them being a, sort, being a struggle. Eventually, it's going to bleed over because you're a whole person and your life is integrated and that it's contagious. Eventually, that area of neglect is going to bleed over into every other area and that's why it matters. That's why God's saying you've got to take care of this stuff first because... Once you do, you open the door for the Lord to bless you. That's what he's saying. Remember this. They started building. Haggai gave that first word in August. They started building again in September. And that's when he says, he's saying, remember this day when you first started. The first day you started. You remember how bad everything is the first day you started. Once you started building, I'm going to bless you from this day forward. And the same thing is true for us. If, there's some, if you're neglecting the temple in some area, if there's something the Lord's put in your heart to do and you are not doing it, if you will just begin to do that, that changes everything in terms of your relationship with the Lord. It then allows Him, so to speak, to bless you. So what do you do? This is chapter, or verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, he was the governor, Joshua the priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of Haggai because the Lord had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai gave this message, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord their God. That's it, just like with everything else. If there's some area where you would say, the Lord has put something in my heart and I'm neglecting it. All you have to do is repent of that. Acknowledge that you're neglecting it and then ask the Lord to stir your heart in that area. That's what he did here. The people didn't have to work anything up. They repented and God stirred their heart to accomplish this work. And within a couple of years, they'd rebuilt the temple. It didn't take a long time once they repented because the Lord stirred their heart. You can go and you can read through Ezra the way it happened. He protected them. He watched out for them. He provided for them. There's all kinds of cool stuff that happened once they acknowledged, you know what, we need to be doing this thing first. And I would say the same thing in your life. If there's an area where you're frustrated, 
Not necessarily, but it could be the reason you're frustrated is because you're neglecting something God's put in your heart, and you know if you are. If you're not, leave it. Don't beat yourself up over it. But if you are, own it. Repent of that. God, I blew it. I'm ignoring you in this area. I know this is what you want me to do. I know you want me to step out. I'm just not doing it. For whatever reason, who cares, I'm not doing it. Repent. And then ask him, will you stir my heart in this area? I'm scared about what will happen. I do have a mortgage, and I'm scared if I step out, I'm going to lose my house. I'm scared if I step out, I'm going to lose my friends. I'm scared if I step out, this is going to happen. Whatever it is, I'm scared, I don't have time, I don't want to. Whatever the reason is, ask him to stir your heart in that area, and he will. You don't have to get everything right in here. All you have to do is acknowledge that it's wrong and ask him to stir it, and he will. Now, I'm going to give a little disclaimer here for some of you um, high-guilt people. It could be that you're frustrated and you're struggling in some area of life, and this does not fit. Don't make it fit. The Lord will show you if it's because you're neglecting something he's done. You could be frustrated for a completely different reason, and we can talk about that offline. I just don't have time to give all of that right now. It'll take a really long time. So... This is one of the, just like with everything else, this is one of those things that's true. Uh, and we, you just need to hear the Lord in terms of how to apply it to your own life. So um, I'm going to pray. These guys are going to come back up. We'll have uh, some ministry teams up front. If you want prayer about this or about anything else, we would love to pray with you. I would say, you know, we did that deal with communion. We're talking about forgiveness. If you would say, I've never asked the Lord to forgive me of my sins. I've never done that. We would love to pray for you and ask the Lord to do that for the first time. So y'all can stand. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'll come back up and dismiss you uh, in a couple of minutes. God, I do pray just very simply, if there's anyone in here... um, if they're frustrated in their life and it's because they're neglecting something you've put on their heart, I pray you make that very plain and that they would respond. Uh, and I pray for those who maybe are frustrated but it has nothing to do with this, God, that they would feel released and would not add guilt uh, to their own heads. That's not, that's not coming from you. God, we want to attend to the things you put in our heart. We want to know what it is to seek you first and to move out in these areas, God. We don't want to neglect anything that you desire for us. So I pray you would come now in Jesus' name.